Welcome to this month's interview with an expert. We're going to be talking about the idea of year-end planning and creating profit uh, and growth for 2023. I have come to the understanding that uh, people don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. And uh, I have heard reports over the last couple of days, even as I've been chatting with members about the success stories of doing successful end of year planning. Some folks have remembered what I've taught in the past and have taken the steps. Some folks, it has blown their mind how much they have freed up in free flowing cash flow for next year. And some folks are super depressed because they felt like they ignored this problem for so long. Don't feel depressed. If, if, you, if we talk about something today that you haven't done before and you're like, darn it, I've cost myself so much money. That's, while that may be true, that, that's not how the world works. The world of small business works where we learn lessons from one another and we implement those lessons based on where they are and where we are in our life, in our story, in our season. And so wherever you are in your season right now, what my goal for you is for 2023 is to help you have a successful launch into 2023. And you're going to have some downtime here in the next week. The phones will quiet down. Everything should get a little bit quieter. You should be able to find some quiet time with a pen and a paper, or maybe like me, you're remarkable. And uh, you, you'll, uh, you'll actually sit down and write some ideas out and you'll start to end of year plan. We're, I'm going to go through it kind of through my way, but I also invited Annette Sonnenberg from Sonnenberg Consulting to come in and help you see it from her perspective because Annette is, uh, runs a bookkeeping firm and she's our bookkeeper and she's bookkeeper to many of you as well. She's a Partners Club sponsor and, and she has some real insight as to what works and what doesn't work when it comes to running a small business, specifically a, a small law firm, and some of the things you need to do around end of year planning. Are you with me, Annette? I am. I'm here. Hi. Hi. I think either Sherry or there we go. They spotlighted you. Welcome to the party. I'm wearing my Christmas red. I don't know about you. It looks like you got your Christmas, your Advent purple on maybe. Is that it? Yeah. yeah there it is. Good. Um, so this is not bourbon. I did not need bourbon for our conversation. This is iced tea. I promise. Uh, so, <laughs> so tell me, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, what's your firm do just so we make sure we start off on the right foot. They all know who you are. Yeah. So we're an outsourced accounting firm, which is really the maintenance side of accounting. It's not, we don't prepare the taxes, but we do work a lot with the tax preparers and with some year-end planning just to make sure everybody's ready to go. And, uh, you know, I mean, the important thing is that you, you're you handling this maintenance as you go, right? Because there is a point where your accountant is not, your tax preparer won't have enough information to help you at the end of the year. And after the end of the year, it's too late in a lot of, in a lot of cases. You can still do some things after the end of the year. Yeah, and so you're you're right. There are some things we need to do before the end of the year is up. Like one of them, you were just telling me about the the uh, bonus depreciation is is going away, right? So, just for real quick, why don't you tell everybody about that in case they don't know what that is and and what 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 does the going away look like? Yeah, so most people are familiar with the bonus depreciation, where you can take a hundred, get to deduct a hundred percent of purchases if they qualify um, in the year that you purchase them, and so you don't have to depreciate that over time. And this year is the last year that you get 100% depreciation. So if you're thinking about purchasing a large item, um, a vehicle, equipment, you know, whatever it might be, 
you might want to do that before the end of the year this year, because next year it steps down to 80% and the following year it steps down to 60%. And so you start to lose that if you're trying to, to get the whole hundred percent. So uh, things that qualify, like I bought, um, you know, a vehicle over 6,000 pounds um, and I was able to depreciate hundred percent of it. Um, as a matter of fact, I did that with two vehicles. Um, and so those types of things qualify as well as other things. It could be copier printing equipment or computers right. or what have you that, that are more expensive. Anything that comes under that category, um, right, even down to tenant improvements for a new rental space or whatever that you can write off, all that comes under those categories. So getting those money spent now is important because next year you're going to get 20% less of that depreciation to be able to take right away that year. You'll have to take it out the, the balance of the 20% over time. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So those are some small things like, you know, I, and I look for all of you listening, like some of you might be going, look, Rich, I don't need to know what expenses I can take. Uh, you know, what, what, what more money I can spend at the end of the year. I'm not in that problem right now. And I'm in the, like, there's not enough profit problem right now. And, and some of you are, you've listened to us. And so you do have this profitability issue. And so you have to learn how to, you want to learn how to minimize tax liabilities. And so purchase, making those purchases make sense. Also things like uh, getting your simple IRA or 401ks or things of that nature need to be done at the end of the year too. Right, Annette? Yeah, and you know, for some things you're probably you're too late now. If you wanted to set up a cash balance plan, for example, you're too late to do that this year. But like keep that in mind for next year that if you see how see where you're at, September, October, and if you want to take advantage of writing off more than that maximum for 401ks, then you can talk to your investment advisor and maybe have them set up a cash balance plan in October of next year and take advantage of that. Yeah. I, I remember when uh, Annette and I first met, she had said, well, why aren't you doing a cash balance plan? And I said, well, my last guy told me I couldn't do it because I had too many employees. And and she goes, geez, I don't know. I know other people that have employees the way you didn't, and they should be able to do it. And then I talked to my new uh, guy and I had, it happened to be with Edward Jones. And he's like, oh yeah, we can totally do that through your 401k and have it not have as dramatic of effect and these formulas all work out or whatever. And so voila, we, we literally got, we're able to put away 400% more in, in tax deferred savings than we were able to do in previous years. And so, and look, it's a big number, right? I was raised in Scranton, Pennsylvania. The, the first number that I was able to put away was a big number. Now we're able to do 400% more than that number it's a really big number. Uh, so, it, you know, it, 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 it's certainly more than my parents retired with. So um, it's a big deal. So if, if your, if your business gets more profitable, you need to learn how to do this. But that's not the only thing. Like, as, as the other side of that fence, Annette, really is this idea of debt. And I've saved it to the end. We're going to, we'll talk about it a little bit more. But just as an overview, like, what do you, what do you see is the challenge with debt in a small business. What do you think has happened since all this free money has been floating around? Well, a lot of people, I think we're seeing this as a, a way to fix their problem, whatever their problem is in their business. And what I have seen is people just keep getting further and further into debt and that they haven't changed their lifestyles. They haven't been trying to pay that debt down. And so this, this, you know, debt ball just keeps increasing, increasing, increasing. 
And, you know, even if you're going in and you're looking at what things you can eliminate from your business, maybe you have duplicate expenses, maybe you have, you know, unnecessary expenses, whatever they might be. If you spend it somewhere else, it hasn't helped you at all. You really yeah. have to take that amount and apply it against the debt to bring it down. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, okay. So a couple of points there. So let me share my screen real quick, by the way, is there anything else you want to add before we go start sharing my screen? Anything else you, you, you had talked to me a little bit about lifestyle. Why don't we breach, breach, breach into that. Yeah. Branch into that conversation. Talk to me about that. Yeah. So, I mean, look, everybody struggles, I think a little bit with, you know, the car, the house they think they should have, you know, maybe your current vehicle is more than you can afford. Maybe you don't need the house that you have. And look, housing's terrible, so I'm not going to get into that. But I will say that I see a lot of people just not shifting out of that lifestyle that they can't afford. And I think that's that can be the, the number one big thing that you do to change your circumstances. But in addition to that, whoever your mentor or coach is, if it's rich or whoever it is, that you have someone accountable to right? You're going to be accountable to someone every month on what changes are you making? How are you doing? How are you shifting out of your current situation? Yeah. So let, let's talk about this a little bit, because I think it's a big deal. Um, because I think that most everybody I know is, is pretty frugal, but that's not always the case. And, it, and I think it has to start you know, the way you do some things is the way you do all things. So if you're not frugal in your home expenses, some, you may not be frugal in your business expenses. And you really need to be frugal in your business expenses. If your employees aren't, you know, referring to you as cheap every now and then, you're probably not doing your job as a small business owner. I mean, that's just the reality. Um, you, you do have to get a reputation for scrutinizing every expense. And so from a personal perspective, I, I can't, I can't tell you what to do. There's lots of people who've written many, many books on this subject, and I'm not the expert, but I, here's how I can tell what Maria and I, you know, th how we thought about this. So, you know, they, they always said, what do they say in that? Like, you should never spend more than what percentage on your house on your mortgage. I think it's like, 20 or 25%. Yeah. So I've heard up to 30. High. I've heard up to like 30% of your income should never, you shouldn't spend. And I heard that. And I'm like, Holy crap, 30% of my income on my house. Like that's outrageous to me. Right. I mean, Maria and I lived in an apartment over the funeral home. Just like, just go there for a second. Right. And it was free. So we lived there. And then we built our first house. The first house with the land and the house cost $129,000. And then the, the next houses we bought cost $149,000. And I got an extra house behind it to rent it out. And then, and then when I moved to Phoenix, the houses were $600,000. And I waited until they came. That was 2008, 2009. So I waited for the knives to keep falling. And we bought the house at $230,000, $600,000 dollars $600, house. We bought it $230,000. And then we sold that one and we bought a $500,000 house at $325,000. It wasn't until we moved here that I finally was like, okay, now it's a million dollar house, but I'm 52. Like, and it, and, and the mortgage represents a small percentage. And I only took the mortgage because it's 2.7 point, 2.75% interest. I just couldn't justify not taking the free money, but that's great. 
the mortgage is so I'm, I'm telling you this folks, because we've always lived like way below our means I, for many, 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 many years with two kids, we were able to live. And yes, many of those years were in Scranton, but even in Phoenix where the market in Gilbert before it kind of got out of control, we could raise it, you know, four people in the family on, you know, $6,000 a month, $5,500 a month, I think was kind of our family budget, whatever. Now, Maria and I spend a lot more on than that on, on travel and everything else. Um, but the, the wealthiest people I know uh, that have multiple millions of dollars, some of them multiple tens of millions of dollars, regularly tell me that their kind of annual burn rate is, you know, $200,000, $250,000. That's generally the rough number I hear. That's kind of what they spend and they have a great lifestyle. So grow your expenses in pace with, with what your income is and don't listen to the rest of the world telling you 30% is okay. My, our mortgage, our mortgage probably didn't reach more than has never reached more than 6% of our income ever. And so you don't need to have, you know, we always buy used cars and Maria shops that shopped at Marshall's for years. And you know what I mean? We just did what you had to do to kind of have luxury at a discount and you still felt good about it. And everything was paid for. There was no personal debt, right? And so I think if you have that pressure, business is hard enough, let alone having to have the business pro provide for you in a way because the family puts pressure on. I think that's what you're saying, right, Annette? Yeah, and look, I mean, I have a client that just bought a $280,000 Mercedes. Mm. And, you know, most of us would just be like, are you kidding? But you know what? She made like $5 million last year. Right. That makes sense. That Correct. still makes sense, right? Correct. If you're not making five million dollars, don't go buy a two hundred eighty thousand dollars Mercedes, right? Correct. And, and my husband keeps talking to me about my car. He wants me to get a new car. And <laughs> I'm just, I like my 2010 Lexus. I just like it. I'm not a fan of change. I don't need it. <laughs> but I think he's just kind of trying to get his Ford Lightning, and I'm I'm up for the new car. So. Yeah, probably. But that's okay. Look, I, I, you know, we, we, you all, many of you heard the stories about Maria buying the car we own for her now because she fell in love with the wheels, right? The, the wheels probably cost me 30 grand for $4,000 wheels because she liked that. The wheels only came on that car, right? So fine. We could afford it. It made sense. We bought it. My, I would, I'd still be driving my 2010 Avalanche. I would still drive that truck. If it wasn't for the fact that when I moved from Phoenix to here, I just couldn't justify sending a truck with 125,000 miles across the country. So I bought a truck and I bought the truck with 500 miles on it and it's got 9,400 miles on it right now. And I've had it for two years. So like, I just don't go enough places to care about the car that I drive. Um, nor do I really give a real rat's rear end what anybody thinks about me about the car that I drive. So I've beat that to death. You got to keep your personal expenses in check. But let's let's let me share my screen real quick. So here's here's what I here's what I think about at the end of the year, right? So besides personal, I didn't put that personal stuff on here because Annette brought that up, and I thought it was a great conversation that we should have. But I believe that planning equals profit. Remember, I said that people don't plan to fail; they just fail to plan. And so here's kind of my chicken scratch. So can everybody see this? Give me a yes. You can see this, so I know you're. You're with me if you're still awake. Can you see this? Give me a yes in the chat, please. Yep. Yeah. All right. Yep. Cool. Thanks, Andrew. All right. So first thing you got to do, got to pull all your credit card and bank statements, export them to Excel for the year, 
sort them by purchase type. Um, cause if you use a debit card, you got to do it. So wherever your expenses come out of now for me, 99.6% of all my expenses are paid on, on one of four credit cards. I have two for personal and I have two for, um, business. And, and so we charge everything on those cards. And, um, so I just export those to the end of the year. We're doing it. I'm in the process of doing this right now. Now I do it every six months. So I'm pretty confident in where I'm at right now, but I do it every six months. Now, I do it in six months for two reasons. One, I do it for the business and two, I do it for me personally, because not only do I want to know what we're spending on the business, I want to get rid of any ancillary charges. Like I almost canceled Netflix the other day because they raised the price to like $27 and I don't watch it that much. And then of course, Maria and I watched a Netflix, Netflix special yesterday, two days ago. So I'm like, darn it. Okay. Can't cancel it. But like, I'm, I'm going into those expenses going, okay, what do I need it? Is it an absolute must? Like there's stuff I don't want to pay. Cost me $2,700 a year for some software, $5,000 a year for some software. And I got to be honest with you, I don't want to pay it. And every year I send a list to Amanda and every year I say, can I please turn something off? And every year she says, not if you want everything to work. And so I just bite the bullet and I pay for it. It's, I don't want it, but I've got to have it. Some of it is I want it, like I really use it, right? And so like Hulu personally, or like Sp Spotify for the business or Zoom or Box or Microsoft or right, fill in the blanks. These things that make my, these are tools that make my life easier and the software that we use. Can I make a quick comment about that too, Rich? Please. There, you know, if you have someone in your office doing this for you, that that might not cut it because no. I know I had my people helping me out and then I took it back and lo and behold, I had two or three extra Adobe subscriptions that we shouldn't have had. So, you know, you might be the only eyes that are going to catch that. Yeah, I, I do not think this is outsourceable. I don't think it's outsourceable to a Nets team. I don't think it's outsourceable to anybody on your team. I mean, I think a Nets team could come alongside you and say, here's some duplicate expenses, but you're the one that just needs a quiet room. It'll take you two hours and a couple of, cup of cups of coffee. And if you don't like computer screens and you want to print it off, print it off and, and have somebody else format it for you. And if you're working with a company like a net, they could go out and export it for you and make it pretty and yeah. give it to you. So you can print it and you can take it with a red pen. You can go and you can scan it and send it back to them and say, okay, I want to limit all these. And they're going to go, okay, you need to log in and like turn these things off, right? We can't do that for you. We don't have permissions to do that. Um, but you, you need to do this yourself. You need to go through your expenses. I heard a report yesterday of one, one guy got rid of $6,000 and he does it every year. And it was 6,000 bucks he got rid of. One, another guy got rid of $90,000. Another guy got rid of $20,000. Another gal got rid of $12,000. Almost every year, I free up a few thousand dollars. When I first started doing this in my business, I easily cleared out 50 grand, easily cleared out 50 grand. And there's been years here when I, when I transitioned over from management, from one manager over to Maria and I managing it, we easily cleared out $120,000 of expenses that the rest of the team was just spending because it was easier for them. And they just, they had the credit card and we didn't, we, while we watched the expenses, we're like, we justified it. But at the end of the year, we just got rid of it and it didn't come back. Now, to your point in that, if somebody has debt, right? If somebody has debt and they just take that savings and they reallocate it somewhere else, or they take it 
as draws or profit and use it for their own personal expenses. Well, now this debt is sitting out there. You believe they should take a percentage of that free new free money and put it towards the debt, don't you? Yeah, and you know, I've heard I've heard some consultants say just take 500 a month, just start with that. Just to just to say 500 is going to go on debt. If you can do more than that, you should do more than that. But just start with some number that feels doable. So let me uh give you a just a clear horror story. I will not use names, but I have had a client that I've worked with and I watched their numbers and I saw that they were losing money. And I said, Hey, we need to fix this. Your payroll's too rich. We have to get rid of the payroll. And it was over. It was like over by, let's call it 10%, but 10% 10% was like eight grand, right? Nine grand, 10 grand. So like, that was a big deal, a month, right? So it was that, there was marketing, there was a couple other things, profitability was upside down, had a really bad month, one month. So all of a sudden everything was upside down by 20 or $30,000. I'm like, hey, we need to do this. Are we okay? Yeah, took out our savings, took out our savings. They fundamentally didn't, tell me the truth. And they looked themselves in the mirror every morning and lied to themselves and kept taking their own paycheck and draw. And before they knew it, they looked up and they were over $250,000 in the hole. And the reason why was because they took small credit card, like credit cards, and just like kept using these credit cards to offset and they'd go get another credit card, another credit card, another credit card, another, and the little amounts, you know, the 10,000 here, the 20,000 here, the 15,000, whatever it was, dozen credit cards, all of a sudden, they had all this debt and all these cards at now 27% interest. There's- That's crazy. <laughs> well, it is crazy. And I have seen, I've seen that as well. You got to consolidate, get rid of the cards, consolidate it, pay it down as fast as you can. So two things. One, that's a true story about a client. Two, that's a true story about me, folks. So I know this to be true because at age 33, 34, when I was growing my pet supply company and I had inventory overseas, I made every excuse in the book and I had every legal pad in the, that you could possibly imagine explaining the future forecasting of how this was going to work. And I kept adding up the debt. Mine didn't add up to 250. Mine added up to $3 million before I knew it. Not before I knew it. I knew it the whole time. Like I knew I was very conscious of what I was doing and it wasn't personal debt. We were taking less than $6,000 a month between the two of us. We were living just fine in our family. We didn't have any debt personally. It was all business debt, but that didn't matter. Because by the way, every one of those credit cards was in my name and her name, right? So it didn't matter whether it was personal debt or not. It was personal because it was personal to us. Yeah. And so you can justify and rationalize this trap. It is a very, very seductive siren song this debt. And so 
if you find yourself in a situation right now where you've got a revolving line of credit and you're using it, you got credit cards and you're using it, my suggestion, go cut them in half. Go cancel the line of credit. Stop using your credit cards to finance your company. Stop. All it's doing, all it's doing is putting you in a position that you are not going to be able to dig your way out of. And, and if you're not careful, you're going to be filing bankruptcy to get out of it. And it's going to be really, really, really messy because of the state of your business. And so I'm just telling you, don't do it. Let's get back to the share. All right. Now, we need to go as compared to. So now we've gone through all of our credit card statements. We've gone through limited expenses, picked up as much savings as we can for next year. We're super excited. If we have debt, we've applied that debt. If we don't have debt, we've we've just looked at it as new earnings and that that's new uh, runway for us to be able to grow new projects, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, by the way, debt kills your ability that you just saved all this money and now you got to pay down the debt. So now you don't have any money to grow again because you don't want to go back into debt till you pay off the debt. So it just delays growth. Another reason to avoid debt. Uh, I know there's good debt and bad debt. People say, I'm telling you, just avoid it. It's just smart to avoid it. Um, now you got to get to as compared to, right? So as compared to, you've got your P&L. So as compared to last month, as compared to last year, we're at the end of the year. Now you can run a clean comparison month by month. What happened? What was the income like? What was the expenses like? Did we see a pattern emerge? Are we seeing, can we look back and see clearly now that we have two years to look at and see anything emerge that we can change or alter, right? So, so looking at your P&L is super important. And, and like, this is why it's important to have a bookkeeper. Like, I go every Tuesday, just about, I log into QuickBooks and Annette's team has got my books updated and I just go in and I can see my profit and loss. Now, oftentimes I do it right from my phone, right? I just log into the app on my phone on Tuesday because uh, I just do it from my lounge chair in the morning where I do all my kind of morning routine. I on, on that Tuesdays is usually when I add that to my morning routine. I log in, I check the PL, I just go on a snapshot for the month, see where I'm at. And it makes sense to me or it doesn't. I usually look at the month before just to make sure nothing has changed or wasn't any journal entries entered. And of course, they send me a list of things that I need to get them answers on, which yes, I know I owe you some answers on something, but I will get those to you, I promise. So, uh, but so they're holding me accountable because I get the email from her team going, uh, Mr. Rich, can you please, like, seriously, we're coming on the end of the year. Can you get these answers for me, please? Um, so PL, right? We want to make sure we get that done. Um, now, PCLC as compared to. You want to be able to run your PCLC. I've been telling you run it week by week by week. That's great. We need to be running it by month. But now is the time of year for you to look back. What was my lead flow like this month, This these months of this year as compared to those months of last year? If you don't have last year because you're new to this game, fine. But many of you have been around for a minute. You should be comparing your PCLC leads, set, shows, hires. How many have you had? How, where are you running tally this year as compared to last year? What's your growth rate rate like this year over last year? Do you notice any patterns? Do you notice any, any seasonality? Do you notice any dips or highs or lows? And can you go in and attribute what that was from? And can you note it and tell the story about it while the memory is still fresh in your mind about Susie was off or Bill was sick or 
this lead source crashed, or this is when we found out the phone numbers weren't working, or this is when we changed the script, or this is when I had to add a new sales guy. This is when I put in the non-attorney salesperson. This is when I let my attorneys close deals, whatever, right? What does it look like for you? How do, how has the numbers changed? It, it just tells a story. And then we're going in and we're looking at our marketing ROI and we're looking at our cost per client, our cost per sale, our cost per appointment. Uh, pardon me. It was a cost per client, a cost per show, a cost per appointment, a cost per lead. So what is marketing costing us? You know, what does it cost us to acquire a client? What does it cost us to acquire an appointment that shows? an appointment period, and what does it cost us to acquire a lead? And, and when we look at it, can we compare that to the same time last year? Like I can tell you in 2019, my average cost per client acquisition was like $2,952. In 2020, my average cost per client acquisition was, was uh, $4,672, $4,73. My, my, I can tell you in, in 2021, my average client acquisition was nearing $8,000. My client acquisition cost in 2022 has come down by some 30, 35%. Well, that's great, but it's still not where I want it to be. So what is your cost per client acquisition? And what does that range look like? And what's happening that's making these differences, knowing these numbers as compared to? Sorry. Um, also, as you're looking back, this is the time to look and see if you need to adjust something so that you're getting the numbers that you need to determine that. I mean, I know a lot of sometimes when books come our way, people are like, yeah, I keep meaning to do this or that because I really can't tell. I mean, this is the time. Restructure your chart of accounts, build classes into your books, you know, whatever you need to do. I love that you said that, right? So this is what see, this is what a professional service company does. They walk alongside you and they go. Okay, do you have this? No, you need it. Okay, well let's let's like work on it. Let's schedule some time. This is what I do. I, I it's it's Sonnenberg Consulting. So we do bookkeeping, but I'm a consultant, so I can walk alongside you and say, okay, in order for you to get this number, either you need to give us access to your CRM, or we need to bring the data over, or we need to put classes in QuickBooks, or 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 or, and let us figure out what we can give you every month, so you can make sure you're running this data on a regular basis and you're watching it based on what your goals are. This is what a partner does for you, right? The, uh, as compared to, now, she'll do, they'll do this for you, but if you don't tell them what you want to accomplish, they can't help you, right? And most firms aren't trained in this way of thinking, and so they're not even going to know to proactively say that. Here's Annette in the middle of this call going, look, this is what you got to do, and if you don't have it done, we can help you get it set up. Love it. Yeah. You're looking at your phone room. And you're taking a look of, okay, we've got this phone room, appointments in, uh, inbound calls, outbound calls. We're looking at, at you know, uh, as, as compared to, right? What, what is my averages? What's my averages uh, on my time on phone? Like my connection rate, my set rate, my non-qual rate. And I'm looking at, okay, how does that compare to last year? What does my averages look like this year? How much did my average rep was, how often were, how long were they on the phone every day? Were they on 180 minutes a day? Which by the way, is about the right number. What was our connection rate? Did we, did we get north of 45, 50%, which right now is about the right number. Are we having to use any other forms of communication like text or social media connections to offset that connection rate? When we do get the connection rate, what's the non-quals like? And then of the people who are not non-qualified, what's the set rate like? And how's my reps doing? And how does that compare to the same time last year? Again, looking at it annually, being able to take a look at all these things, right? And then we're going into sales and we're starting, we're saying to yourself, okay, what is our average client value? 
right? So, and, and how does that match according to the goals I set for myself in the beginning of the year? And, and how does that match as compared to last year? Did my client value go up? Did my client value go down? And why did it go up or down because of, you know, because of increase in fees or to go up and down because we're attracting a better client and go up and down because we're the realized dollars is actually better because we're collecting better. Um, and then what about average money down, right? Are we, are we getting the average amount of money down per case we need to get in the initial during the initial consultation? What's our close rate? How is it compared to last year? What's our non-qual rate in the sales room? How many of our people that we're meeting with, are we market non-qualified and we have a system to deal with that? Is the show rate affecting our ability to sell? And, and this big one here from a marketing perspective, how many days from lead to sale? The other, the other one I'll tell you is, is percentage of sale to lead, right? Percentage of sale to lead. So if I go, okay, I have 10 sales and I got a hundred leads, I'm converting my leads at 10%. If I've got 30 sales and a hundred leads, I'm converting my leads at 30%. Just so you know, like 10 is lousy, 30 is strong. 40 is about as good as I've seen in a non-referral only business. Referral only business, it should be much, much higher. 60, 65, 70%, depending on uh, the, how many referrals and what practice area it is. But most of you aren't referral only businesses. So, you know, you're going to be in that somewhere between that 10 and 30% likely. Um, 14 is kind of the minimum where you need to be. 20 is getting you profitable. 25 starts eking up and is doing really good. 30% is strong. 35% you're killing it. Um, now, if when we go through the people, so now we got to go, okay, end of year people, we, this, this is our, this is an asset that we have our, our list and our relationship with our list, as well as our people in our team, right? We have to have the team the systems run our law firm, people run our system. So we have to have people. So now we got to go into the people quotient. I know this isn't an accounting thing, Annette, but I couldn't do it without, I, I couldn't ignore this. You, even you and I had this conversation, right? In order for you to get your team where you wanted to get to, you have to make sure you have the right people in order for you to get your way out of the chief inspection officer role of watching every single one of your clients, you need to be able to grow your firm to be able to have them the profit to be able to hire the people with that right level of expertise to be able to do that. Correct. Yep. It's the same thing in a law firm, right? If you want to be able to gain your freedom, if you want to be able to have your December off, or you want to be able to take your two week vacation, or you want to be able to come to Spain with us in, in April, or you want to be able to do whatever you want to do, you got to have the right people. Um, you know, or you got to have enough profit the rest of the months where you shut down and you don't worry about the people that's keeping it small, keeping it all. And I'm okay with that too. But you got to ask yourself if blank Susie, forgive me if there's a Susie on, or you have a Susie, but if Susie was being recruited away, would I fight for her? That's a big question because people are recruiting away constantly anymore. Would you fight for that team member? If somebody was trying to take them, or would you be like, no, well, I guess we lost them. You know, I mean, like, you know, I got it's it's an extremely telling question. The, the, and by, by the way, I got that question from uh, um, No Rules Rules, the book by Netflix. Love that question. Um, do I have the right team to achieve my goals, our goals next year? Boy, big question. I'm asking that question right now. We're opening up two new uh, divisions, as it looks like, in the next year. And I'm super excited about it. My son's come into the business more actively. I, I, I love his enthusiasm and, and my job is going to make his life as miserable as humanly possible for the next year to make sure he really wants to do it. 
but but anyway, you know, he, he we're we're gonna we're gonna try to grow the business and and take a couple different angles. And um, I, my, my the number one question I have on my sheet right now is, you know, who who do I need to make sure I can achieve my goals? Who do I need to make sure I have in order to achieve my goals? Sorry, I'm remarkabling inappropriately here. Let's see if I can. There we go. All right. Um, so, so that's the big question when it comes down to people. Uh, by the way, if you have any questions, ask them. I know I'm talking at 500 words a minute. So if you have any questions, um, it looks like Will picked it up on Audible. Oh, you, you liked it. Yeah, it's cool. Just like the only part I don't like about it, Will, is the tell your employees to go out and get a quote to see if they're paid the highest market-based wage, bring it back and we'll beat it. Like that's Silicon Valley talking, right? So like, I don't love that part of that argument, right? Because when we get to the financial budget, which is what we're going to get to in a, in a second year, where I hope Annette can come back and help us understand this, um, we're going to, we're going to understand how this fits in. But the next thing we want to talk about is goals. And, and we're going to look, we're going to spend some time on this in, uh, in February, at the February event, smarter goals. Remember that specific, measurable, actionable, uh, uh, recorded, time bound, energizing, and, and it's readable. In other words, they're very specific, not, not a lot of money, a million dollars or $937,000. They're measurable. We can run reports on them. They're actionable. We've got the ability to build a plan to figure out how to get there. They're recorded. We've got them written down somewhere so that we, we can access them. They're time bound. We put a deadline on them. They're energizing. They're not just a dollar or a cent. They're not just a thing. If you think about it, it breeds energy into you. You get excited about it. You just, you go, yes, I want to get up and go to work tomorrow, even though it's 35 degrees in Charlotte and gray. Yes, I still want to get up and I want to go to work tomorrow, right? And, and it's, it energizes me. And, and, and then, I, and then I've got a way to be able to read them regularly. You know, what is it for you? Is it post-it notes? Is it you know, pen and paper? Is it, you know, the thing on your phone, whatever, this is Blaine's area of expertise and I'll let him manage it, but smarter goals. And then you got to know your why, like, okay, great. You want to grow by, you want to grow your firm by 25% this month. Why? Or this year? Why? Okay. You want to go, you want to go from 500 to, 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 you know, seven, 600 and some odd thousand dollars. Why, why do you want to, grow your firm by $125,000 at $500,000. Well, because you want to do more gross revenues. Okay. But why? Like, like, you know, I talked to Annette about this without sharing her gross revenues. I'm like, well, why do you want to grow to the next level? Because I, well, because I, my family, we have to make what we make from the firm right now. Okay, great. And so in order to be able to replace myself in the role, I've got to be able to bring in more gross revenues to be able to replace myself in the role so that I can go about growing the firm in a strategic way. But I'm so busy in the weeds sometimes that I don't get to grow the firm. Okay, that's a law. That's a lawyer's problem, right? So why do I want to grow? Well, because I want to replace myself so I can start to gain my freedom. Great. Now I got my why. What? But to grow to for the sake of growing, like, I, I, I don't need to grow for the sake of growing. I don't need to grow at all. I could stay where I am right now for the next 20 years and I would be happy as a lark. The only reason my why right now is because I got a 24 year old and 24 year olds don't like to stand still. And so I got to grow. So, all right, let's go kid. I'll grow. But like, what is your why? Um, and then how that comes into the plan, but, but how are you going to grow? Right. And, and what, and that comes down to financial budgeting. Once we start looking at this, this, how it really comes into, okay, first, how much is there? Debt isn't an option. Sorry. 
taking it off the table. Debt's not an option, right? I, 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 I grabbed debt for this trucking company I was going to invest in. And I borrowed money for the trucks because I was justified the assets, whatever, whatever. And of course, the thing didn't execute because the company I was going to invest with failed in a way that doesn't make me feel real comfortable. So now I got this money sitting in a bank and I'm paying interest on money that I'm not using. It was stupid. I should have just funded it out of my own cash, but I wanted to fund the company. I wanted this company to stand on its own and I didn't want to inject capital in and I wanted to see if I could see if the cash flow game worked. First time I said yes to debt and I can't tell you how long. And I'm miserable because of it. I, I know, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to be my grandfather. I can remember like it was yesterday, my grandfather, I was 16 years old. I borrowed $500. He went down to the bank, Donnie Latore. He was the president of the bank down in South Scranton, Penn Security, Penn Security Bank, went down to the bank. Donnie Latore sat me down, said, son, here's your $500. Now you have to pay it back according to this schedule, whatever, whatever. Everything was fine. Seven months in, I missed the payment. I don't know, maybe it was 50 bucks, whatever it was. My, I went down to make the payment the next month. Donnie said, you don't have to make any payments. I said, why? He says, your grandfather came down and paid it off. He couldn't stand that you didn't, you missed the payment. You go see your grandfather. Oh, crap, right? So now I got to go see my grandfather. And my grandfather's like, we don't do debt around here. I showed you that to teach you a lesson. Pay with cash. If you can't pay with cash, we don't borrow. We don't loan. No, we, we don't do debt around here. So I didn't learn. Apparently, I didn't learn that lesson. And so now I'm going to go down and do what my grandfather did. I'm going to pay off the loan and I'm going to take it on the chin for the two, two three, four, five, six thousand dollars it's going to cost me for going through that aggravation and walk away from the deal. But I'm telling you, there's nothing that comes good with debt in a business. I just, it's not. And I, I'm telling you, I'm as susceptible as everybody, anybody else is. So, how much is there? How much cash do you have available to you to grow? How much expense, how will expenses be affected? So you say to yourself, well, I, in order to grow, I've got to add this. I need to add this who, okay. Well, how much is that who going to cost you a year? How much is that who going to cost you a month? How is that going to affect your, your profitability? Or more importantly, how is that going to affect your expense of salaries as compared to gross sales, right? So your gross sales and your salaries should be in relational together and your salaries with your taxes, with your, with your uh, benefits, with your 401k, everything should cap out at 45%. If you go north of 45%, you're gonna be in a really difficult spot to make sure you're keeping 15% to the bottom line. I'd really like to see it to be at 40%, not 45%. 37% is probably like as healthy as you can get. If you get down below 32%, you start to worry, unless you've got labor overseas and you're doing a lot of your labor overseas, which you can do that that way. But if you have labor here in the US and you don't have it overseas and you're below 32%, you're probably stressing out your clients or your, your staff extensively, or you've got a ridiculously high margined practice area and you only take very, very, very high dollar cases. Um, I, have another, I have another comment on employees as well. Please. I think- one thing to keep in mind, especially when you're considering who you need to keep, who you need to have around or who you need to go get. Um, I read the other day that you can, employee turnover can cost you up, you know, 30 to 50% of an oh, yeah. annual salary. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. You don't want a lot of turnover, but you also don't want to keep the wrong employees. It's just another thing to think about. Yeah, turnover kills you, right? And and if you keep in the wrong person, the cancer, the, the, pro the problem with the wrong person is in the office, by the way, isn't 
necessarily the role they're going to do. It's their effect on the thoroughbreds, right? Because the thoroughbreds you have in your office don't like hanging around donkeys and they get really upset by donkeys. And, and what's going to happen is you're going to scare away a thoroughbred if you keep the donkey because the, the, don the thoroughbred is going to say, well, the boss just wants to hire donkeys. I guess I don't belong here. And so you got to be really careful with who you keep and who you have. And, and if, you've got, if you've got staff that are donkeys and you wouldn't fight to keep them, it's probably time for them to go. Um, and treating so them appropriately too. You don't want to put yourself in a position where you're on the hook for payroll taxes and penalties later because they should, they should not have been treated as an independent contractor, for example. That's always something you want to be looking at. Just ask somebody that knows. We're happy to help out with that. Yeah, it's, um, it's always a challenge. Um, but you should have your things set up correctly. So you're paying people the right way. So you don't get yourself in trouble. Um, and, and, but do your best to hire smarter and fire faster. And you'll usually save yourself a bunch of aggravation, but yeah, you got to do it right. And by the way, you got to be a human about it too. Right. Um, then you got to ask yourself, okay, we're going to do this new plan for growth if we're going to invest in marketing or we're going to invest in the person, whether it be sales or a lead generation or a vendor or whatever, right? We're going to make that investment by when do we need to see results before we have to pull the plug? How long can we let it go? That oftentimes has an awful lot to do with how much is there. So the how much is there, by the way, comes back to how much did I free up in free capital, free cash flow because I saved all those expenses. So if you save $5,000 a month, which is a lot, but if you save $5,000 a month in, in free-flowing expenses, um, well, all of a sudden you got $5,000 a month to fund your growth plan with, right? But so, so you can go a little bit longer. I don't want you to go too long, but you can go a little bit longer. If you have no debt and you're funding a growth plan, you buy yourself some runway uh, to make some mistakes and find the right person as you're trying to put this together. But you, know, you got to identify based on the runway you have, the cash you have available to you, the free-flowing cash flow you have available to you, how long before you have to see the results. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, in order to hit my goals, how many new clients do I have to generate a month in order to do that? That comes back to what's my average client value. And then that also ties into what my average cost per client is, because then we have to say to ourselves, okay, um, we have our total cost per client and we need X number of clients. Well, then we have to go, okay, what's our total advertising spend? So I had a, I have a firm the other day I was talking to and, and they needed to add, you know, roughly, rough, roughly 21 new clients a month to hit their goal. 21 new clients a month to hit their goal. Okay, 21 new clients a month. Average client cost was $1,000, right? And so I said, okay, in order to hit 21, 21 new clients a month, you have to increase your marketing spend by $21,000 next month. Can you do that? Well, no, probably not. Okay, so then we have to scale into it. Or you have to figure out how to optimize your PCLC to get more clients out of the existing leads that you have if you have opportunity in your PCLC, which they did. But in order to grow the 21 clients a month, they were gonna have to have, if they just wanted to go out and market and get more clients back, they were gonna have to increase their marketing budget by $21,000. Well, could they do that? The answer was no. So how do we get there? So sometimes the goal that we have may not necessarily, we may want to have to grow our client base by 21 
121 clients a month or whatever your number is, but you may not be able to get there until month six or seven based on how your cash flow and your goals are going to run out. Because now you have to start asking yourself like, okay, how much money, how long does it take me to get paid in full for a case? How much, how long will I, how much will this will run to the bottom line? And Annette, these are all the things that when they're talking about these budgeting and these numbers, if they have their average client value, if they know how much the average client pays them per month on a payment plan, if they know how long it takes them to get paid on average for a case, if they know what it costs them on average to get acquire their uh, um, acquire a client through their marketing, you and your team can sit down with them and help them craft this budget that makes sense that will help them achieve their goal based on the resources they have available to them. Would you agree with that? Yeah, we can make some adjustments. And I think it's, um, you know, I mean, to to some extent, I'll say to some extent, I, I think I've had people come in and they want me to do what you do. <laughs> and that's not the point, but we're here to help you with the number part of it. Right. Look, and my, I get my job is what my job is. My job is to tell you what to do. Then you go to Annette and go, how can you help me do this? Right. Yeah. And, and so Annette, goes, okay, well, let's talk about what you have to accomplish and what pro, what software we have access to and where we're going to get this information from. And let's sit down and have a consulting conversation around it. And here's the questions I need you to bring back to Rich to get more clarity, but you know, here's the direction we're headed. And they, they, you can be a support team for them as they're going through figuring out how to accomplish this goal, right? Right. I think the hardest part for any of us is implementing all these great, you know, all this great information that we're getting. This is, these are the things we need to do, but then it's, you need somebody to support you in that. And that's that's where, you know, you find a bookkeeper, accounting firm, somebody that can help you put all that together. Yeah. The other thing is, and they all chuckle when I say this, but I've heard from many, many attorneys, like one of the reasons why they went into law was so that they would never have to deal with math or science again. Right. And so like, they don't want to do it, period. So like, not only am I getting them to make these changes, but just to get to the data essential part of figuring out these changes, it's not their thing. And so the ones, the, the attorneys who are really comfortable with arithmetic and math and base, basic stuff, you know, they, they actually, they actually have a slight advantage over the guy or the gal is like, yeah, I don't want everything to do with this, but you got to at least be willing to engage somebody who likes math. And, you know, I assume that Annette, because you chose a bookkeeping <laughs> accounting firm, you kind of like math. So I'm told uh, it takes a special personality. And yeah. Well, I hear just like it. <laughs> I, I understand. I <laughs> my wife would tell you I sure as heck am special. That's for sure. <laughs> um, okay. So I hope you found that helpful, folks. Uh, for the end of the year, I don't know if anybody has any questions or any comments or concerns. But really, you know, stay stay out of debt. Let's eliminate the debt that we have. Let's um, Let's go through the end of the year planning and let's start comparing all of our numbers at the end of the year to the same time this year. Now, I'll, I'll tell you one more thing that I do. And, um, you know, this this probably should go at the end of the report because, you know, I have an I have an owner's benefit sheet. Right. That's kept that shows me my owner's benefit out of the firm. And that's like separate because, well, the IRS isn't listening here, but look, at the end of the day, most small business owners have some expenses that are gray and you're getting more benefit out of it than the company is, but they're passed through the company anyway. And so you need to calculate all of that and you need to sit down and look at what your owner's benefit is. You need to be able to say, okay, based on what is my owner's benefit as a percentage of gross revenues? 
And my goal is to get you north of 30% total owner's benefit. And depending on the size of your firm, you can get much higher than that. I've got multiple million dollar firms that are close to 50% owner's benefit, by the way. So it's possible. Um, and, and so you got to figure out your owner's benefit. Then I go in and I look at, um, not only do I look at my owner's benefit, I look at my charitable contributions. So now we're looking at how much we've given so far through charity. And based on our total owner's benefit for the year from the business, what do Maria and I still have to tithe according to our own tithing beliefs? And so we figure that out and we do that calculation and that number is getting scarier and scarier every year, but we do it anyway because uh, we don't believe it's our money. We, it's God's money. We're just, you, we were asked to be good stewards of it. Um, and then we... And then we look at our total asset valuations or our liquid, liquid asset valuations. And I'm looking at, you know, how did we grow our assets in accordance with what my goals were, my liquid assets. And so I'm, I don't really put a value on my business, even though, you know, you, you, have, you, know, you should know what your business is worth, but I don't really put a value on my business. I, I try to take as much cash out of my business as possible. And I put that cash to work in other assets. And most of them are primarily liquid, but how many... How many, uh, what does your liquid asset look like? And how does that go according with what goals you set for yourself? Because at the end of the day, while we want to share and, 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 you know, make everybody else's world good, you know, at the end of the day, you may not be able to work forever. And if you can't work forever, um, or if you choose not to work forever, you want to be able to have enough money so your money can go work hard for you. And so based on what your goals are and based on understanding what, when you want to retire and how much you need in your retirement account to retire that way, you make sure you're saving and growing your liquid assets in accordance with that, and even in a down market. So you're not just relying on the growth of the market, but you're actually adding to your liquid assets every single year. And so I do that, by the way, I run that report every quarter. It's my favorite report of the quarter to run. Uh, and I tally it at the end of the year and I look at it at the end of the year to make sure I'm on track. And then I take all this data and that's how I set my goals. So anyway, I hope that you found this helpful. Don't look if we have any questions. So I'll go with going once, going twice. And Net, I just want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. If, if anybody wanted to uh, get a hold of you and reach out to you, how, how would they go about doing that? Can you put it in the chat for me? Yeah, I'll put my Calendly link in there. And that's that's still always the best way to schedule some time with me. And um, if nothing else, we can talk about whether we are able to help and when we will get to an, another onboarding phase to bring people in. Right, because that's, that's an important comment. Like you make sure your firm serves your clients when they need them the most. Not that they don't need you all the time, but during tax season, January through April, and through that, you know, August slash September tax season, you guys don't allow new onboarding of clients, right? So you, you have to, you know, even though somebody's going to talk to you now, uh, you know, they, they need to, if they're interested in doing business with you, they need to get in line because two things, one, you only take so many clients and two, you only allow new clients to really onboard in that May, June, and July and September and November time period. And other than that, you don't accept new clients. Is that correct? Right. We've already stopped for the year. So yeah. So so if you're thinking about asking Annette to help you, she she'll be a great asset to you, but you need to get an appointment with her soon because there is a line forming and you want to be in that line for when she's starting to allow new clients to onboard in May. Look, folks, this is what the good firms do. They temper their growth. They only take the clients that make sense. 
and they figure out a way to build their way out of their different roles so they can gain their freedom, but they do it slowly and with purpose. And so, Annette, thanks for being a great example and a, a disciple of these principles. I appreciate that. I, I love that you eat your own dog food. Um, and I uh, wish you and everybody on the call uh, Merry Christmas, a happy Hanukkah, wonderful new year. Uh, I hope everybody has a safe and wonderful time. If there's anything I can do for you, I'll be happy to, but you need to know that I'm pretty much out until we come to the turn of the year. So we'll see everybody real soon. Thanks so much for being a part of today. Hope you found this information helpful. If you're on a podcast and you're listening, certainly click to like or subscribe or download or comment or whatever you got to do. Let's make sure we let everybody know if you like this content so we can grow EA Nation. Thanks so much, everybody. Make it a great day. Bye. Thanks. Bye.